0: Well, good morning and welcome. And uh, we appreciate you joining our stream this morning as we continue our study through the book of James, Street Level Faith. Our our sermon is entitled today, Lord, What About My Finances? Lord, What About My Finances? As you turn to James chapter one, we'll be in verses nine through eleven this morning. And just as we get started this morning, I just want to do this by way of reminder to us that. Uh, These are crazy days. Uh, Actually, just right before recording this, the uh, city of Kansas City extended the stay at home orders. And so uh, for our church purposes, we're going to continue to record these sermons and put them up, uh, but also at a a different time, as you've seen this morning. But I want to encourage you as well that we are including every week at 1030 our drive in service. Uh, which is at the campus at, at Tower View, and we'll go for about 45 minutes with a shortened message, some songs, some prayer and scripture reading. So just a word before we get started about all this. Look, none of this is perfect. We wish these opportunities that were before us were the physical gathering of the church where we could hug each other, sing together, be in the same rows. They're just simply not. And so we appreciate your patience. I think the Lord understands these days that we are doing what we can. And just like in Romans 1, when Paul wanted to impart a word to the uh, Romans, he said he would write to them to let them know that he was there with them, even though he physically had never actually seen them. And so, too, this feels weird. You may have screen fatigue. You may be ready just to throw in the towel on this sort of thing. But thank you for hanging with us. Because this is trying to do what we can do in these days. And we respect all churches doing different things that are trying to be biblical, trying to keep the fellowship of the saints together. Uh, So thank you for your patience. Thank you for joining us. And uh, let's get to the Word of God today. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, reading out of the ESV Bible, says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray together and we'll start off today. Father, as we come before you on, again, on a day where we would much rather gather in person. And Father, though this be pre-recorded, we will have had our time together in our drive-in service as we, uh, stay six feet away with windows rolled up and no one getting out of their cars. Father, we thank you for these opportunities. Father, I pray, though, that we not become content with them, that we do long for, desire, and yearn for the, the, not to things necessarily to get back to normal, because whatever that normal is will probably never return. But Father, we pray, though, that the normal would be our yearning to physically gather again as we can. Thank you, Lord, that we are not under threat of persecution necessarily. We're under threat of virus under a lockdown for such a reason. But Lord, we have these means. Thank you for this technology to do this. Father, we pray that people who hear this would be edified, that you would be glorified, that people would be saved, that the gospel would be abundantly clear and that you remove me out of the way and you use your word. Father, that's our prayer every week. Thank you for this time. Thank you again for our our, our sister seminary who's allowed us the use of their facility to do this. Father, bless them and use them in these times as well. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story about two brothers who went away for college and uh, one became a farmer and the other was a very successful lawyer and an investment banker on the side. And and the, the lawyer brother decided to visit his brother farmer on the farm one time just to catch up for old time's sake. And he said to his brother, I can't believe you've made anything out of your life. You've not made anything out of your life. I mean, look at me, he said. I'm on Wall Street, I have clients who make millions, and here you are, brother, stuck as a farmer out in the middle of nowhere. And I wonder what the difference is between us. And the farmer brother then spoke, and, and he pointed to his wheat field out in the window, and he said, brother, do you see that wheat? And he said, yes, of course I do. He said, you'll see wheat that is standing straight up, standing as tall as ever in the wheat field. And in the head of that wheat, there is absolutely nothing valuable to me as a farmer. It's empty. But there's other wheat that's kind of tipped over. When you look at it at first, it looks really bad. But that's because the wheat is head, the wheat's head is full. And because it's full, it's going to be ripe for the picking when times come for it to come. And the brother explained, and I think this is so true, that some of us are standing up straight in these days. Some of us are standing up straight. We're walking tall. However, we're only able to do so because we're literally walking on empty. Yet there are some of us in these days who are walking a little bent over, like that wheat, showing we are full, showing we are trying to get through, but we possess things that nothing this virus could ever take away from us will ever remove from the stores we have. And this time in the season isn't a test of what you have in your pocket. Rather, it's what you have in your heart directed to the Lord. And in our drive-in service, Pastor Nelson read this as our scripture reading. But Psalm 119.37, the psalmist says, Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me a life in your ways. You know, it's so hard to keep what is important, important in our lives. Have you ever noticed that before? It's so hard for us to keep what is important important in our lives. Things that weren't designed to be important suddenly become important. And they rise in levels, of importance to us. While things that are not so are, are things that are important descend kind of to the unimportant level. And, and that's a real struggle for all of us as we try to prioritize what is good for our family, our church, our life. But when you first come to Christ, you have a powerful and penetrating sense of what is really important in life. I mean, do you remember that? When you came to to know Jesus Christ, you were filled with an amazing sense of your need. You saw things a little more clearly, perhaps even legalistically or pharisaically at times, but you saw clearly how you should live your life. And when you saw another Christian, you thought, you know, why do they take that as so important? I mean, Jesus is what's important. And it's like God had opened the curtains of the universe and you finally got it. You finally understand what life is all about, what it's worth living for, and you finally understand the deep privilege that can only be found of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't stay there, do you? Those become too familiar for us. They become regular. The things of the church become routine and we lose that fire we had when we were first saved or converted, whatever age that was. And somehow, some way, in the way we think and act and respond, they begin to descend, the things of God begin to descend in importance in our lives. And the things that aren't intended to be important become important. Maybe it's that church committee or that church fundraiser or that church thing. The things of the church become more important than the the one who gives us those things. And so it is true for us today. So what is important to you? I mean, if there's any time that's really made you ask that question, hopefully this lockdown stay-at-home time, this coronavirus time has done that. I mean, how have these times changed what you think about or what you pride yourself in? What do you take pride in? I mean, where do you stand in the back in your life and say, yes, this is what I wanted my life to be like, especially in terms of my finances. Yes, this is what's important. Aha, uh-huh, this is what is worth living for. Is what is important, important to you even in these days? Oh, not on an evening when things are well or not when things get back to normal. Again, whatever that is, is what is important, important to you? And what about your finances? For many of us, that's the question we're asking today. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this next day or pay this bill or whatever it is. Lord, what do you want with my finances in this time? And friend, I want to remind you today with our big idea that God gives us money so that we can use it to show that he is more precious than anything we could ever buy by ourselves. As believers, we own only what belongs to God. Our car is his car. Our house is his house. Our money is his money. We are merely stewards, merely managers, managing his possessions. I mean, money's like cow manure. When you pile it up, it stinks, but when you spread it around, it makes things grow. That's what it's really all about. And God promises us, as we will see in the scripture, that even, even though you may have all things, even though you may not have anything, he is to be the greatest boast of our lives. And the primary purpose of seeking him out is not to get the things of his hand, but to get more of him. So in our troubled times, James shares with us two ways, two mature ways Christians can boast about things money cannot buy. First, he tells us in verse 9 that mature Christians can't boast, or can rather, boast in spite of their poverty. And secondly, he says mature Christians cannot boast or shouldn't boast in their wealth in verses 10 and 11. And as we said again and again, James is writing to a people who are being hammered. They're suffering in many ways, and it's a sweet pastoral instinct for James to come to them and remind them in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their loss, what is actually important to them. And friends, that's what we want to do today. So let's look at that first heading, mature Christians boast in spite of their poverty. Let's read verse nine again, James chapter one, verse nine. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. It could be translated, let the, the, the brother of humble circumstance, or more exactly, let the poor brother boast in his exaltation. And before we get there, I just want to read some, some sister verses, some, some cross references here, I think, that'll frame this for us. First, Luke 14, 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Mary in Luke one fifty two said, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and ex- exalted those of humble estate. Hannah in 1 Samuel 2.8 says, God raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillar of the earth are the Lord's and from them and on them he has set the world. And finally, Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let them boast in this, that they know me. In case you have not realized it, and and James is making an observation here for us as well. You live in a world just like they did 2000 years ago. We live in a materialistic, pleasure-centered, de-spiritualized, no eternity culture. Let me say that again. We live today in a materialistic, pleasure-centered, de-spiritualized, materialistic culture. Yes, even in the midst of a pandemic. By no means are of the values of that culture, life is all about the pleasures of what you get. And there is no spiritual world, the culture says, and there's certainly no eternity. It's what you do here that matters. And so the culture would look at the poor man that James is talking about and find nothing in him to be excited about, nothing to boast about, nothing to celebrate at all. You know, there's those Facebook videos that, that, that sometimes make the news where they find a homeless person and they, they, they make him, you know, get a good place to stay and all that sort of thing. And they get their time in the moment. But really, those people who do that for that poor person, one of the motivations usually is just to get their name out there to say, hey, look at what we did. But if the game is material possession and physical pleasure, the man in James 1:9 has nothing to bring to the table. We can't live in this materialistic, pleasure-centered, de-spiritualized, no-eternity culture without somehow, some way being influenced by that truth. And this is the struggle of our lives is that we struggle with this. And so we too need the sweet pastoral reminder of what James says. Look at verse 9 again. Let the lowly brother or sister boast in his exaltation or her exaltation. The key to understanding the phrase here is the word brother. He's talking about a Christian. He's talking about a believer. Remember, he's writing to the dispersed believers here who in terms of material things are poor. And it assumes that the poor here is not just poor in American sense. Even the poor in America are richer than some of the, most of the people in this world. This person in James has no possessions to look at and say, look what I got, look what I acquired. Because he's poor, he most likely doesn't have the esteem of people around him. And because he doesn't have esteem, he doesn't have power. He has nothing. But yet James says this man can boast that he is poor in this way. James says this man can say by the miracle of the grace of God, I've been invited into a personal relationship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and one that is truly important even though I have nothing. I am poor, yet I am rich. Brothers and sisters, the day you and I can stand in the middle of nothing, the day when we stand in the middle of a pandemic, of a virus-filled world and lose everything, our 401k tanks, our health may tank, our economics may tank, we may lose physical possessions, even jobs, But the moment we can stand in the middle of the nothing is the day we understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we cry out, I am rich, I am rich, I am rich because of Jesus Christ. And here is this man. It's not saying it's wrong to have things in James 1, 9. The issue is being ruled by them. It's always a matter of the heart. And here is this man who, although in the estimation of the world has nothing, he has the deepest, most expansive, most satisfying cause for celebration. He's been given the gift of gifts, the treasure of treasures, the the, the prize of prizes. What is that? James will tell you later on the gift that he has that he's boasting in is the accepting, justifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talk about we never hear the word gospel in the book of James. Well, friend, we have the justifying grace of Jesus Christ. I was talking online this week to one of my running friends. Uh, His name is Ryan. He won't see this, so I can use his name but uh, Ryan is of a faith that believes that you start out with a little bit of good to get on your way. And God infuses you with a little bit of, of, of grace to, to kind of kickstart you like a fundraiser would in a, in a business trying to get on their feet. And he said, you know, Darren, I just cannot believe that God would freely save me simply because he came to die for me. I have to do something to bring it to the table. But what this poor man would tell my friend Ryan, my running friend Ryan, is simply this. Ryan, you brought nothing to the table. You brought nothing but sin and and hate and enmity, and, 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 and that has separated you from God. And your good deeds are like filthy rags. There's nothing you can do. But this poor man would look at Ryan and say, look, I have nothing, but in Christ I have everything. Only through him, by him, in him, and to him, am I saved, am I grown, and do I live? And I would ask you today, church, Is this is what is important to you? Is what is important, important to you? Does the grace of God in these days that we are living really have the sweet aroma that it had when you first became a Christian? Or has it kind of stunk a little bit because it hasn't provided perhaps in the way you want to see? Do the thoughts of grace make your heart rise with joy? Or could it be that a little bit of material loss produces in you a discouragement and even an envy for your neighbors who still have things regularly that you had before all this virus stuff came along, is what is really important, important to you. Well, you'll know your understanding of grace when everything else falls out, when life caves in, when things hit the fan, when you can really look and say, you know what, I've lost everything. But like this poor man in James 1.9, I am rich because of the grace extended to me, in my Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ, and I would not trade it for anything in the world. That's point number one. Mature Christians can boast in their poverty because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Secondly, mature Christians do not boast or should not boast in their wealth. That's verses 10 and 11. James isn't done. He adds here in verse 10, and I'll call you back to your scripture, your tablet, whatever you got, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now this can be kind of a confusing verse if we let it be, but here's the other side of the coin. If you were the richest man in the world, which uh, I think is still Bill Gates or one of those guys, if you had more esteem than all the human beings that uh, anyone has known, if you had all the power in the world and you had anything you could stand before people with and you could have preeminence over them, you would stand before God on the opposite side as a poor man. Because in terms of God's favor, in terms of his grace, in terms of his love, all those things account for nothing, don't they? Listen, grace absolutely levels the playing field. It absolutely does. And that man of great possessions, of great accomplishments, of great power, stands before God who, as one who's unable to earn, deserve, or merit his favor. Isn't that what we saw in Luke chapter 16, the parable of Abraham and the, and the rich man? The parable that we take, a lot of what we know about hell and other doctrines of the faith, as Jesus told it, man, the man was cast away to what we know as hell or, or, or away from the presence of God. And he looks up and, and uh, he, he basically says to, to Father Abraham, as the parable goes, I had everything and I did all this stuff and it meant nothing. And that is so true of us today. That old hymn that we all love to sing I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is the gospel. And this rich man is not called to boast in what he has. He's called to boast in his humiliation. He's called to boast that everything he's living for, everything he's pursuing is just rubbish. And once again, James preaches the gospel that we are to celebrate the grace of our Lord over everything we could ever possess. Now, the problem is, is that these are things that are important of the universe. The most of, the important thing that we have is our relationship with God. I was given life and breath so that I could have a relationship with him. And it's, it's, that's not just about spirituality. It's who I am. It's my humanity. This is what I'm made for. And so there could be nothing more important than the gift of acceptance into the favor of God for whom I've been created. That when Christ saved me, that is the most important thing. Look, there's a lot of questions, even for churches in these days. Will we be able to do the things we used to do with our budget? Can we still sustain this program? Can we still support these missions? There's a lot of big questions out there. But the one thing that James warns us against is trusting in those things that are not necessary in this life. Friends, it is one thing to have possessions. It's another to be ruled by them. And we need nothing more than the surrounding creation, the withering of the grass, the rising heat of the sun, which will be here shortly, in about a month, that that heat is coming. To understand it's a poor investment to let those things rise to the level of controlling our heart. But the struggle is real. The struggle bus is there. The temporary begins to replace the eternal. The physical begins to replace the spiritual. And in the midst of all that, we who've been given the awesome gift of grace in Jesus Christ lose our sense of what is truly important. Can I ask you today, have you done that? Even six, seven weeks ago when this virus shutdown started, did you boast in what you had? Man, we've got a pretty good emergency fund. Or, hey, you know, the stocks are doing well. We can, should consider these things. Friends, those aren't always bad. God has given us things to enjoy. We should prepare for the future. James 4 will talk about those things. But in losing our sense of what is important, we lose the exaltation of knowing we've been lifted to a position we could never earn. And maybe in these days, God is humbling us to make us look further up instead of around us or to the things that we want to get our hands on. And we lose the humiliation of knowing in all our good efforts, we stand with nothing before our Redeemer. So I would ask you again, is what's important important to you? Do you live with a keen sense in these days of what is really important to you? And James says, all this will pass away. The rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to talk to folks who are successful in this life, who are really struggling right now with this life because they have now been humbled to know the very things they thought stable, the very things they thought they could just bank on and count on and that would move on, like the rising of the sun and the setting uh, uh, you know, of the sun, those things that we can count on each day, they're gone. You, know, you think about our sports teams. I mean, there are, there are literally athletes who signed multi-million dollar contracts in the offseason for the NFL that are now thinking, am I even gonna get, see a cent of that in the, in the coming years? There are people who are having this conversation, but this is a gospel moment because we can look at them and say, look, you are going to pass away someday. You are going to die. Your focus has been on these things, but let me reorient it back to the reality that you have sinned, that you need a savior, that there is no other way to heaven except Jesus Christ. And in all your pursuits, they will fade away. All your pursuits. You know, it has been five years. It is absolutely hard to believe. It has been five years since the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. And in, in these coronavirus days, you'd think it'd been 25 years. But one thing is for certain. Everything we pursue in this life is a passing moment. I remember my friend Drew uh, Matthews, who's serving overseas uh, in an undisclosed location with an undisclosed missionary organization. When we graduated from William Jewell College, just up the road in Liberty, Missouri, I remember him very clearly being asked to speak. He was a great speaker. He's a great preacher, even to these days. And he was asked to speak. He was, he was an all-American basketball player. He was top of the class academically. He was involved. He was like super all-American guy. That's who he is. But most of all, he loved Jesus. He had more bling on at graduation all those years ago than anyone I've ever seen in my life. He walked down that aisle, and it was like walking down a rapper's jewelry cabinet. or something. It was like bling, bling, bling. He's all over the place. He got up there, and he didn't speak but maybe five minutes because he literally took off every single thing that he had, over 20 medallions, and he dropped them on the floor. And with dramatic emphasis, they clanked against that hardwood stage that we had at graduation at that time. And he read these verses. He read, like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with the scorching heat. It withers the grass. Its flower falls. Its beauty perishes. Everything is fleeting. Friend, today, it's not bad to have riches. It's not bad to pursue to, uh, uh, securing families, uh, things for your family. You know, James is, is, is in sync with Paul who said that if we don't take care of our families, that we are to be of those who've lost our faith in a sense. Friend, but don't let those control you. So as we close, and I intentionally make this shorter today uh, to keep it in line with our drive-in service, but as we close today, just four quick statements I want to remind you of in this very short passage. Number one is this, a first faith lesson is when we are content with God, we are content with what God gives us. When we are content with God, we are content with what God gives us. Remember, God is after the heart. He's not content with just changing your circumstances. He doesn't receive some sadistic pleasure when you experience pain in days like this. Yet in love, he's willing to allow pain in days like this to continue if it means we are receptive to his word. I'm going to throw out another sports analogy. It is, seems like years ago, too, that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And I know many in our church, that was a great moment of exaltation because you have been waiting for that for many, many years. It was a great fun journey we went through. But the Chiefs didn't win because Patrick Mahomes was the greatest quarterback, although he probably helped significantly, he did, but they won because they were the better fundamental football team. They were the team that when the lights were on, the cameras were rolling, they did the basic things well, and they did it to the best degree they could. And friends, in these days, we need to be reminded of this lesson. We need to be reminded that God is bringing us back, not to more things, but to himself. And we need to get back to the basics of prayer and Bible study and and just simply being okay with fellowshipping with our church because God is pulling back the veil. God is taking away the bells and whistles from churches. God is taking away the budgets that have buildings that are massive. God is just doing a, a scaling back, it seems, in these days. Are we content with Him or are we content with what He gives us? It should be both, but most of all, we should be content with Him. And we should be okay with what He gives us. Are we okay being back to the basics, being stripped of the bells, the whistles, the shiny things in our churches and our families if it means that Christ is exalted, we grow in Him and people come to know Him? That's the first statement. Second one is this. Sometimes God's favor is found in what He chooses not to provide. Sometimes God's favor is found in what He chooses not to provide. You know, when we say, God, you owe me this, we are trying to go back to a contract relationship with him. Or some people say it this way, God, if you would meet me halfway, if you would bring me in halfway, God, I would be okay. God, I'll do this for you. I'll I'll sacrifice my time over here. Lord, I'll give my effort over here in the church. But Lord, really what I'm asking is you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And maybe we don't use that language, but it, it comes through more like this perhaps. Lord, why is this bad thing happening to me? Why am I not getting the things that I have? In front of me that I want. And we talk about the problem of evil as if we don't deserve any bad thing that's ever happening to us. Friend, we're not going to play pin the tail on the pandemic. Why is this happening? But I will remind you of this, is that God is going to give you what you need in the time you need it, and we need to be okay with that. You think of all the prayers you've prayed in your life and all the things you've asked for in your life, if God answered even half of those, first off, how many people would get saved? Second off, which direction would you be running? Which way would you be going? I mean, I can think of all silly things I've prayed through all the years, and I'm so grateful looking back, God did not answer every one of those. And James is reminding us that mature Christians boast in just simply knowing Him. But secondly, we don't boast in the things that we don't have because we simply are grateful for the things He has given us. Every day we get up and we have breath in our lungs and any life and blessing. Certainly, salvation is more than we deserve. When we understand we don't deserve salvation and His blessing, it'll produce in us a generous spirit towards others and redefine our concept of justice in God's provision and economy for us. It'll make you the sort of person who always lays down the privilege gladly in an attempt to lift others up as you seek to lift God up. Third faith lesson, third statement. The question isn't whether God will provide grace, but it will recognize when He does. It isn't a matter of whether he's going to do it. His grace often comes in uncomfortable forms. You know, I've shared this before, I think, over the years. But in in running, they talk about this term of being uncomfortable, comfortable pace. You know, getting ready to run a marathon next week. I have shared in our groups, and you guys have been so sweet to support that. But, you know, marathon pace is not your fastest pace. It's not like you go out and run as fast as you can. It's not even your second. It's probably your third or fourth. It's a pace that you can sustain for a long time that is uncomfortably comfortable. It's something that you know you can achieve. It's going to hurt you a bit. It's going to hurt you a lot, but you're going to sustain that pace. And so it is with God. The question isn't whether God will provide grace, but if we'll recognize it when he comes and be okay with the uncomfortable times. God is going to see you through. Just like that pace is hopefully going to get you to that finish line. But God's going to bring some uncomfortable situations as he provides for you along the way. But it's still all his grace. It's still all his provision. And God will never call you to do what you cannot do. God will always provide everything that you need. Let me just take a timeout moment here to thank our church. Church, we, we, we struggled financially the last couple of weeks, as I think many churches did. But this last week, you all gave sacrificially above and beyond to meet needs in our church, of folks in our church, of of necessary must-pay bills in our church. Thank you so much. The ministry that you paid to do is the ministry we are able to go out and do. For many of you, that was uncomfortable. For many of you, that was really hard. It was sacrificial at its best. Praise God for your gift. And God will call you to do what you cannot do because there are times you're gonna have to look and say, God, I don't know if I can do this. But as many of you have shared personally with me and Pastor Nelson and others, it has been a blessing to you because you know God called you to it. And he provided, even in those uncomfortable things, the means and the grace to do it for the advancement of his kingdom. The last thing, and I'll close with this last statement, is don't fret about the future. Don't fear the lack of resources. Obey God and God will supply. He always does, doesn't he? Uh, one of you all shared this last week about an opportunity you had to, uh, uh, to, to move into a new place, and, and it was a certain amount of money, and, and, and you've been praying, Lord, you know, what can I do? You know, my job's not working the way it was. And a phone call came, and, and you got a contract to work on some work for, for not only that amount of money, but just enough over that to pay the application fee and other things. What a blessing. You know, God doesn't always do it in such straightforward manner. It it sometimes comes in pieces as it is, but don't fret about the future. Church, hang in there. God is going to see us through. Pray for sister churches that are struggling with these things. Pray for those families who are looking at this saying, Lord, I don't want to seek riches, but I, I, I don't want to boast in those things. I want to do what's right, but Lord, it's hard. What about me, Lord? Pray for them. But remember to be faithful to obey God. We don't obey God to get things. We obey God because he is the greatest thing. But friends, as we are faithful to him, it is amazing how he takes care of us. But even when we are faithless, Timothy says, he is faithful to us and to his promises. Church, hang in there. God reminds us that we are on the right path when we are seeking him above all things because only he is worthy to be praised. Let's pray together and we'll close today. Father, as we come before you, as we thank you for this time to gather together digitally, virtually as it is. Father, and I just pray for all those who hear the sound of my voice, whether it's Sunday morning at 1130 when this drops after the drive-in service, or if it's somewhere later in the week, if it's late at night, early in the morning, if it's somewhere around the world we have no contact with, except through the the sharing of a link or an article or something like that back to our website. Father, be glorified. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters in China right now who have been under the, the threat of persecution for years, Lord, dealing with these issues. Father, we thank you that their example to us in these days has been to keep on keeping on, to be faithful to the task, to boast in our lowliness and to, uh, to mourn the fact, Lord, that we don't, uh, have everything that we have humanly, but to mourn even more that we have everything we need in you spiritually. Father, you provide. You take care of us. The greatest provision, of course, is your son, Jesus. Perfect life, burial, death, resurrection, everything that makes up the gospel. Father, draw people to you. We pray for our church, Lord, as we go forward. We thank you for taking care of us. We thank you for the grace you've given us. We pray that you are glorified in all these steps. Father, thank you that through this you are stripping away many things. But I pray that draws us closer to you, the greatest one we have. Father, we pray these things in your name, in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen.